Good morning. I was awoken at 5.30 this morning by a little human who lives in our home. She said, it's my birthday. And she said, we can get rid of all the booster seats in our cars because now that I'm eight, we don't need booster seats. So we have arrived as a family here. Pretty awesome. Happy birthday to my Karis. So we got in the car without booster seat and we went and got a donut and then came back. It's fantastic. So, um, but you know the car, let me just tell you, uh, you might not know this, but about a year ago, I tried a little stint as an Uber driver. You know that? I, I was having trouble sleeping. I thought maybe let's just do something. I want to kind of meet some new people. This would be a fun, interesting way of doing some things. And so uh, I answered the call and I drove to pick a woman up named Priscilla. Priscilla was over at Disneyland and found her amongst the sea of people there. Um, but she called me as I was en route. Once you kind of accept the ride, uh, they, they can call or text you. So she calls me up and she says, uh, she's from the South. So she has this draw. And she says, I just want you to know that when you pick me up, I'm a Southern lady and I expect you to treat me like a gentleman. I said, oh, what am I getting myself into? My life used to be so easy. And she said, I expect you to open the door for me when you pick me up. All right. It's not in the Uber handbook, but okay, I, I, I'll, I'll acquiesce and we'll do it. So I found her and I was so like overwhelmed with the whole scene, like so many people. I found her and, and I'm sitting there, rolled down the window. I said, Priscilla? And she's all, yeah. Come on in. She's all, aren't you going to open the door for me? All, oh, I forgot. Ran out, opened the door. And I find out some of her story, and we're talking about her story. She treated herself to a trip from the South. She came out here to California. She went to Disneyland, and she, she wanted to have a really great experience. She says, you don't know my story. And I said, well, tell me your story. And she tells me about her life and, and growing up in an abusive home where her dad beat her all the time. And at a very young age, she had to leave. She ran away from home and she lived a life on the streets and she found drugs to be a companion. She did all kinds of things, anything just to make a buck, to try to fix this problem in her life, just to survive. And 15 minutes later, we get to her destination. And I said, thank you for sharing your story with me. And it's interesting. You can look at somebody and you can think that you know their story. And then you hear their story and you hear where they came from and where they're at today. And it's like, how did you go from that to this. It's unbelievable. Now, some people we look at throughout our lives and we, we say, how could they, where they're at right now, how could they ever become something that I would ever want to hang out with or talk to? But some of you in this room, you have incredible stories, things that have happened in your life that would blow us away. We would never know that you came from what you came from to where you have landed today. Today, I want you to just get your head around in this passage that we're talking about. You have a story and your story is to be told. And today's story in particular is a little bit crazy. Um, we are in the book and going through a series uh, in the book of Mark. Mark is this guy who wrote this letter to the Romans a couple thousand years ago. And he's trying to tell the people there, he's trying to talk about 
who is Jesus. And so that's what our, our theme is in this series that we're going through. We're wanting to ask and answer the question, who is Jesus? And, and so this, this story today gives us this amazing synopsis, not only of who he is, but why he came and why does that even matter to any of us today? So I want to invite you, go to the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you, hopefully. Um, it's on page 30. We're in Mark chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 20. Um, and there's two parts. There's like the first half, which is the Old Testament, and the second part, which is the New Testament. We're on the second half, so there's actually two page 30s in your Bible. But go to page 30, and, and we're going to just start off with this passage. And I want you to hear this, and I want you to see that Jesus is, is one who pursues people. He's always going after people. Check this out. It says this. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When he, when Jesus, gets out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had been dwelling among the tombs. Now, let's just define a little bit of where we're at. When Eric spoke a couple weeks ago, we talked about there was this storm at sea. And Eric kind of foreshadowed a little bit that this force that was trying to hold Jesus and the disciples as they're crossing, it says, over to the other side. We believe that this is a demonic force, that there's something that's stopping Jesus, and there's probably a good reason for it. Um, I want you to hear that when it says that Jesus pursues people, that he's going for the outsiders. And as he's crossing over from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other, that he's going to these other siders, these outcasts. Now, in, in the bulletin that you got today, there's a little bulletin outline. And I, I just want you to look at this passage in here. Um, this passage is from Isaiah 65. And Isaiah is this guy who was like 700 years before Jesus. And he writes this. And he's talking about Jesus and who Jesus was actually going to come to. And Isaiah 65, it says this. I revealed myself to those who didn't ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call my name, I said, here am I, here am I. All day long, I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations, a people who continually provoke me to my very face, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of bricks who sit among the graves... And spend their nights keeping secret vigil, who eat the flesh of pigs, and whose pots hold broth of impure meat, who say, keep away, don't come near me, for I am too sacred for you. This passage, 700 years before Jesus is ever even on the scene, is talking about how Jesus was coming not only to the Jewish people, but he's also coming to those who are outside of the Jewish people, those who are known as Gentiles. Now, this is the Sea of Galilee. This is what it looks like. When we say sea, it's not like a huge ocean. It's just like if you're actually to run all the way around, it's about 30 miles. I think it's like 12 miles, like north to south, seven miles east to west. It's not a sea. It's, it's a lake. You can stand at pretty much any point at the Sea of Galilee and see the entire thing. Now, Jesus, most of his ministry actually took place up in this area. When we read about all of the miracles and all the things that Jesus is doing, a good 80% is taking place up here in this region. We hear about like Jesus always going to Capernaum. It's up in this area. And so Jesus is always here and he's going and he's performing these miracles. He's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's doing all of this stuff. And then he always says something that's interesting. I want you to pay attention and like lock this in your head and we'll talk about it later. But he'll do something and he says, make sure you don't tell anybody about it. 
And he's being specific about that because of where he is at. Now, when it says that he went to the other side, it's not necessarily exactly north to south or east to west. But when he goes to the other side, it means that he's going to this other region. This other region is the place that's inhabited by the Gentiles. And it's interesting because just right around this little sea, you have all of this animosity. You can literally see your enemies right across there. And Jesus goes to this place. It's in this region called Gadara, and this is the place of the Gentiles. And it's kind of beautiful. If you were to go there today, this is what it looks like. Here's some aerial shots. Today it's known as modern-day Kersey. Um, some of us are going to be going out in November. We're going to be there at this spot, and I'll just reuse this sermon, and we'll do it again. It'll be really fantastic. But you can see, as they're going through, you'll, this is kind of a really beautiful spot, and they make sure they land over here. And so Jesus is coming, and he runs into somebody. But as he does this, I want you to hear, and I want you to know that Jesus is the one who's pursuing. Jesus is going out, and there's this like kind of nerdy theological term. It's called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace means that God takes the initiative in turning to human beings. That God searches out those who aren't even searching for him. And so to have this awareness that God initiates, that God is pursuing. God might even be pursuing you this morning. And so to be open, what is it that he's doing? And so Jesus, he goes after and he's pursuing those, the people that we might never go after ourselves. There are people that you look at and you say, there is no way that I would ever interact with a person like that. They're way too far gone. Can you get a picture of like what that looks like or who that is in your mind? Do you know some of those people that you've just written off? You said, no, they're lunatics, they're crazy. There's no way. Well, one of these people shows up, and it's the welcoming crew. Jesus gets out of the boat, and the first person that greets him is this man who says, it says that he was possessed by evil spirits. Look at this in verse 2. When Jesus gets out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling place among the tombs. This is where he lived. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. That word subdue in the original language, it means to tame. And you would only tame, you don't tame humans, you tame wild animals. And this man was so wild they had to kick him out of the city proper. And they said, we're putting you in the tombs. We're chaining you up. And that didn't work. They tried to tame him like a wild beast. And this is who comes and greets Jesus. It says, constantly, day and night, he was screaming amongst the tombs and the mountains. And he's gashing himself with stones. Jesus is about to do something in the life of this man. But anyone else, and I'm sure if this man was running up and down Tustin Avenue, we would be calling 911 and we would say, kids, get in the car, come over here. There's no way I would walk across the street and try to engage. I don't know what the disciples are thinking at this point. Like, hey, Jesus, maybe let's get back in the boat and let's go over to the other side where it's safe. Jesus comes up to this man and he sees beyond all of the craziness. He sees beyond the bloodied arms that have been gashed with stones. And Jesus is seeking out. He's trying to find 
what is the deeper problem? And so Jesus is pursuing the deeper problem. What is it that's going on with this man? And so we have this crazy showdown with this man who is a microcosm of creation. When the Bible says that creation is groaning, wanting to be released, like this man is a microcosm of our human condition that wants to be freed. And so Jesus goes after him. And this is what it says. Look in verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, do not torment me. There's a couple things that are going on here. He says, What business do we have? He says, Don't meddle here. What are you doing on this side? You're supposed to be over there. Now, I I believe that this man is possessed by these impure spirits. These demons, it's kind of a weird and crazy phenomenon, but I believe this is actually something that still happens today. But we write it off, and we give prescriptions to it, and we say, hey, uh, this, this is something that you were born with. This is some kind of psychosis, and I believe that the enemy is still alive and still at work today, but I also believe that the enemy operates in certain territories. Have you ever gone driving? Have you ever gone somewhere? You walk And there's this sense, there's this oppression, and you feel, man, what is happening here? If we read in Scripture, we know that demons are out and they have control over certain territories. And so Jesus enters this territory, and this demon-possessed man, being controlled by these demons, says, what are you doing here? And then he says, son of the Most High God. Throughout the book of Mark, it's the demoniacs, And it's even the Roman centurion at the end of the story. They have great theology. They know exactly who Jesus is. And so they call him out. He says, son of the most high God. And Jesus' response, he says, what is your name? And we might just read that and say, why would you ask this guy his name? What's going on here? There's this old belief that there are actually exorcisms that would take place. But if you were going to exorcise a demon out of a person, there was this protocol that was used. The rabbis wrote it down. And one of the things that you had to do was you had to ask it its name. If you knew the name and if you called out the name of the demon possessed, that you had some kind of power. And so the demon starts with the first blow. What are you doing here? Why are you in my business, son of the most high God? And Jesus says, what is your name? And the response that he gets is this. My name is Legion, for we are many. Legion is this Roman term for Roman army. It it symbolized a legion was 6,000 men on foot. So this man in this human body was within him residing many, many demons. It says, we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. See, these demons are begging. They actually think Jesus is here. Our time must be up. And in another part in Matthew and Luke, it says, don't send us into the abyss. Don't get rid of us forever. There is going to become a time where Jesus will do away with all of the evil in the world. So they say, don't get rid of us. There is an imploring and there is a begging. And it says, now this is where we get a little bit weird. Actually, we were there already. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, and the demons begged. They implored him, saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. We need a new host. 
And Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. (laughs) That's crazy. So Jesus, for whatever reason, and we don't know, gives permission as the demons are asking Send us out. Put us in those pigs. Jesus gives permission. And I believe that perhaps the demons who would be in a human, uh, maybe a human can handle it to some extent, but when entered into a herd of swine, they just went crazy. And so they run and they rush off. And here's the thing. If you're on the other side, on the Jewish side, As Mark is writing this and they're reading this and the gospel of Mark like 2,000 years ago is being read to all of these people, they're cheering. You know why? Jewish people then and even now are not that fond of pigs. You and I? Miss Piggy, Piglet, Babe. We like pigs, right? And even more than that, we love bacon. I'm Jewish, and I love bacon. Oh, that felt good to say. Now, let's just close in prayer right now. But on the other side of the lake, the Jews are watching this, and they're saying what's going on. And in one foul swoop, not only are there a whole bunch of demons, unclean spirits, but they're sent actually into the pigs. Now, The Romans who were stationed there in Israel at the time, they actually took on a mascot. The mascot was a boar. And and so this was kind of what they would identify themselves with. And so the Jews had this history of if they were being tortured, if they were being persecuted, their enemies would say, we want you to eat the flesh of swine. And to do that, that meant that they were forsaking all the commands that God had given them, saying, don't eat that. And so for them to eat the flesh of swine meant that they were turning their backs on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when they see 2,000 pigs fall into the Sea of Galilee and come to their death, it's almost this joke. It's this irony. It's this, really? It's unbelievable. And so this is what happens. They're there, and all of a sudden, there's this transformation that takes place. Not only does Jesus pursue people, but he transforms people. Look in verse 14 with me. In verse 14, it says, The herdsmen ran away, and they reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came out to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right mind, the very man who had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. The man who was running through the tombs, gashing himself with rocks till he's bleeding, screaming in the mountains, breaking the chains, is now clothed. 
he is sitting down at the feet of Jesus in the position of a follower or a disciple. And it says that he was in his right mind. And all of the people run down to the banks and they say, what is going on? And it says something else. It says that they were frightened. I'll get to that in a second. But this transformation was huge. Have you thought about transformation in your own story? I think that a lot of us, we look at transformation and we think, I can't change. I'm too stuck. I can't get past my stuff. I want you to hear today that transformation can happen in your story. That God wants transformation. He, he loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to just leave you where you're at. Over the last few months, uh, I've journeyed on my own transformation. I'd say this has been like a lifetime transformation. If I were to kind of plot my map of my life, um, I could kind of do it by how much I weighed at certain points. And I know like at this point in my life, this is how much I weighed and this point. And, and, and so I've been under this journey and, and there's been a bunch of us who've actually done this um, from Calvary. But we've joined uh, this, this place. It's a torture clinic, but it's really fantastic. It's called Fit Body Boot Camp, and uh, we got to come together. The first time I did this was January through like beginning of March. And over six weeks, the challenge, you put some money down, and the challenge is to lose 10% of your body weight in six weeks. And if you do it, then you get your money back. It's pretty awesome. And so the first time I did it, there were eight of us from Calvary. We joined in. We woke up at five in the morning. We had to wake up the roosters first. And then we went and we worked out. And we would just be looking at each other. Why are we doing this? And it's just burpees and squats. And it's horrible, right? And the first six weeks, I did it. I made my challenge. I lost 10% of my body weight. And then we had a little break and they said, there's another challenge. And I said, not doing that again. And then more people started to hear about it. And then we decided, all right, we're going to do All of a sudden, 22 people from Calvary. We've been doing this now for the last six weeks. And guess what? Yesterday was way in. And transformation happened. You guys want to see what transformation looks like? I'm going to show you some of these people. Do you guys know this guy right here? Yeah. Already a stud, but check out what happened yesterday when he weighed in. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Pastor Josh. Josh has a brother named Luke. This is, oh, wow, some fans. He's single, by the way. Um, Luke, Luke weighed in yesterday, and check this out. Wow. He lost so much weight, his beard fell out. It was unbelievable. Uh, this is Brian Hendricks. Uh, he didn't get the before picture, but he said, this is a picture of my fat face a few months ago. And he literally said that, and look at that. Isn't that amazing? Here's uh, our buddy Curtis Yates. And already a stud in that picture. I mean, that's my goal right there was just to be where he started. And this is where he ended yesterday. It's awesome. And Curtis has a beautiful wife named Karen. And this is what Karen looked like six weeks ago. And yesterday, this is what she looked like. Isn't that awesome? This is Laura Yorba. And she joined us as well, working out right next to us. And that's what she looked like yesterday. You guys remember this guy? His name's Matt Doan, one of our pastors here. Again, he's like the poster child of Calvary Church. Maybe one of the most beautiful people here. And he did it. And you know, if you know Matt, Matt barely shows up to anything on time. But they have a strict policy. If you don't show up for the stretching, they'll kick you out. This is boot camp. And this is what Matt looked like afterwards. <laughs> Look at that. And then our good friend Patty Dedman. 
That's the before, and there's the after. Amazing. And look at that. Jill Nielsen. Jill, look at you. Unbelievable. And here's my buddy, Pastor Nate Green. We'll actually get to hear from him a little bit later. Already looking good, but look at this guy. It's amazing. And his wife, Malia, and she joined us yesterday, and this is what she looked like. Here's Quentin. Do you guys know Quentin Edwards? He is the husband of Mary Jane, and he was a big, strong man, but now look at him. He's still a big, strong man. This is Mary Jane. That was, that was what, four months ago? And this is Mary Jane yesterday. Wow. And then there's this guy. And I know a lot of you look at me and you say, Matt, you already have your glorified body. It's so perfect. Why would you mess with that? Why would you do anything with it? But even I went through this process and this is what I looked like yesterday. Isn't that amazing? Now, I say that, and it's, it's amazing, and it's great, and like, thank God. I will say that the transformation process, though, it's not easy. It's, it's not pretty. It's blood, sweat, and tears, right, for us to get to that point. And to look at us where we're at, and you saw a picture of me like four months ago, um, but some of you knew me like ten years ago. You remember me ten years ago? There was a little bit more to love back then. Ten years ago, this is what I look like. I remember that version of myself. Transformation. Transformation happens. Now, I'm thankful. We, we invited our coaches. Coaches, just give us a wave. We appreciate you guys. Mike and Marlene and my coach Brenna, my personal torturer. When I was doing push-ups, like, and she, she thought, like, oh, he's making it look too easy. She'd take, like, a 40-pound medicine ball and she'd throw it on my back and say, now do it. And I was like, I hate you. Thank you. Uh, that transformation, though, it, it takes some work, right? Our own transformation, it takes work. Um, it, was, it was just uh, last week or two weeks ago, I had one of those moments where I was making it look too easy. And so Coach Marlene suggested that I put this guy on. This is a beast of burden right here. This is 24 pounds. The workouts were already difficult. And then you throw 24 pounds, and I wore this thing while I did the workout. And I realized, that's what I lost that first round. I lost this. And as I was going through that workout, I said, never again. I can't go back. I don't want to go back to these chains. And I think about this character in our story. I think about him running through the tombs and screaming, has lost his mind. And when Jesus intersects with his story and his life, there's got to be this sense for him, I'm never going back. I'm never going back. These, these chains, these chains that, that once bound him, that just kind of held him there, that he would break those chains, he would shatter those chains. After his transformation, after his encounter with Jesus, I don't think that he was ever going back to those chains again. Now, we could celebrate and we could be excited about our transformation on the outside. And absolutely, that is something to be cheered and to be celebrated. And as much 
as I think that God wants us to take care of our bodies and that we have that transformation, I think he's far more concerned about the transformation of our hearts. If we could do a before and after of what our hearts look like before Jesus and now, what does that look like? This is a picture of a really nasty heart. I mean, if this is what your heart looks like, you got to go to Fit Body Boot Camp. You need some help. Uh, but our hearts need to be transformed. There's this passage in the book of Ezekiel that says that there's going to come a day where God's going to take the whole nation of Israel. But this is his heart for us is that he wants to remove our hearts of stone. Hearts of stone don't beat very well. He says, I'll give you a heart of flesh. I think that God is up to something, that he wants transformation, not just of us outwardly, but he's far more concerned with where your heart is at. So you look at the response of the people on the Gentile side of the lake, and it says that they saw, number one, their entire economy. <laughs> 2,000 pigs back in that day for a small town, their economy is ruined. And they look at Jesus and they say, we need you to leave. You're too much trouble for us. And it says they were frightened. That word is phobos. It's the same word that's used after Jesus calms the sea and he's sitting with the disciples in the boat. They look at him and it says that they were frightened. When you see God show up and when you see him move, it's cause for us to pause and to have a little bit of fear. And that fear can drive us to resist the transformation that Jesus wants to bring into your life. See, we like Jesus as long as he's a good teacher, but once he starts to like disrupt our lives a little bit, once he starts to say, hey, you can follow me, but this is what it's going to cost, then we kind of say like, I don't know about that. Have you guys seen Shawshank Redemption? I love this movie. It's about a bunch of guys in prison, but there is this piece, there's this moment, there's a character, his name is Red. And Red from prison, he's talking about his experience in there, and he says this, these prison walls are funny. First you hate them, and then you get used to them, and enough time passes, get so you depend on them. That's institutionalized. They send you here for life, and that's exactly what they take. The part that counts anyways. Fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. I think it's fascinating that these people on this side of the lake are comfortable with the demoniac running around and terrorizing everybody. But when Jesus comes and sets this man free, they say, get out of here. And you see some of these requests that come up. And you have the demons. The demons are saying, Jesus, send us into the swine. And Jesus says, okay. And you have the people on this side of the lake saying, we want you out of here. And he says, okay. But then there's something interesting that happens. Check out the rest of the story. It says this. They began to implore him to leave their region. In verse 17, verse 18, it says, As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. He says, I want to go with you. I want to follow you. And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has mar had mercy on you. 
And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. The work of Jesus in your life is your story. Tell it. This community begs Jesus to leave, and this man begs to be with Jesus. And out of all of the other times where Jesus heals and he does something amazing, and he says, don't tell anybody. We're going to disrupt the Jewish side of the lake. It's going to set them all in arms. This is one of the few times that Jesus says, and I believe it's because he's on the other side. He says to the man, you can't come with me. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell everybody. Put yourself in this guy's position. I think it might be helpful for us to even get our mindset. What does it look like to see a bit of ourselves in this man? This man, he's beaten down by others. He's abandoned by everybody. He's placed in this place all by himself. I read this quote. This may have been his context. He says, I feel like 6,000 soldiers inside of me. Sometimes they all march left and sometimes they all march right. Sometimes in all different directions. I'm pulled one way and then another. There's an army inside me and I think I'm losing the war. I, I think that if we can see ourselves in this tortured man, then we can also see that deliverance is not something that is for other people. For the derelicts and for the foaming lunatics, that the gospel of what Jesus has come to do is just as much for us as it is for everybody else. That Jesus somehow wants to land on the shores of our life and he wants us to be changed. But we want to like distance ourselves from this guy and say, I'm not a crazy nut job. And somehow we can kind of hide be behind our coherent words and our well-kept homes and our fancy clothing. And so we don't look all that messed up. But I want you to know that the same Jesus that brought that calm and that peace on the sea wants to do the same thing in your life. And so I think that there's a difference between testimonies versus biographies. The bio biography of your life is like the story about you and what you've done, what you've accomplished. But testimony is far, far different. Testimony is what Jesus has done in your life. And if Jesus has done something in your life, then you tell it and you say, this is what he's done. And so Jesus sends this man off and he says, you go and you tell other people what I have done in your life. And he does it. And every time he does it, it's amazed. People are amazed. And I think we have some of these transformation stories in this very room, but I don't think that a lot of us actually share what Jesus has done. Are you actually like in this regular practice of doing that? Have you taken stock and said, I once was here, but now I'm here because Jesus had mercy on me? I mean, think about it. Think about like some of these transformations. I, I remember watching Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, right? They come in and they get like a house like this. Right, and Ty Pennington a week later says, move that bus. The bus moves and everyone's like, ah, right? Like this is that amazing moment and everyone's crying and I'm crying and it's an amazing moment. And they show you all the befores and afters, but what if this was the before and then what if the after looked like this? Well, we said, all right, we got an amazing backyard project. This is what the project looks like and we're going to transform it into this. Or maybe like gardening's not your thing. Like I want to restore cars. Like I have this really awful beat up car 
And I want it to go under this transformation. And afterwards, it's going to look like this. I wonder, do we not share our stories? Do we not tell our stories? Because the transformation that we've experienced in our own lives feels a little bit more like this kind of transformation. Maybe we've forgotten or maybe we just kind of stopped being changed by the gospel. Maybe the good news for us is old news and we've forgotten what Jesus has done in our lives. Maybe you don't have a story of transformation yet. So I believe that the call for Jesus in your life this morning is he wants to intersect. And I believe that he's inviting you into that transformation. So I don't know what your story looks like. Maybe you go back home and your home is like the tombs that this demoniac lived in. Maybe you're coming from death. Maybe you just showed up here today and you don't know why. If you don't have a transformation story, my invitation for you is to enter in. Uh, in a few moments, we're going to take communion where we remember the body and the blood of Jesus. We have stations around here and you can grab that. We also have just prayer points, prayer stations, and we'll have some of our pastors and elders and other friends. They'll be there. If you just want to pray and like begin that transformation story, then do it. Just come up and talk to us. Don't leave here unless we've talked about this. Um, but beyond that, if you've had that transformation in your life and you haven't been sharing it, then I want to invite you into that. Uh, I'm going to have the band come up and we're going to continue to, to sing and to worship. And as they're doing that, I just want you to just be reminded. Our stories are, are meant to be told. We had a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers out there. I've gone on missions trips. And for whatever reason, it's pretty easy to go out for 12 days, 14 days. And we go to this like foreign country, people we've never met. And for whatever reason, we're able to tell them about Jesus. But it's really hard to talk about Jesus in our neighborhood. When Jesus sends this guy back, he says, go back to your home and tell your family, tell these people around you about me, that I have had mercy on you. I don't think that this guy like, had like, all right, well, I'm going to need a theological education. I'm going to have to take some classes. I all of a sudden like, need to know the Torah. Like, all of that it just didn't happen. He says, go out and just tell your story, how God has had mercy on you. And I remember there was a time that I went to Mexico on a missions trip in high school. And on our way back up, we stopped at a park just before the border. And our youth pastor, he broke us up into groups of two. And he said, I want you to go out and I want you to tell your story to the people in this park. You got two hours and then come back. And I remember struggling and trying to speak Spanish so brokenly, so horribly at the time. And trying to get the story out. And we come back after two hours and our youth pastor said, well, how did it go? And we're all, it was, it was hard. Like, it was kind of miserable. That was difficult. And he said, why? Well, we can't speak the language. He said, what if you could? If I could speak Spanish, like, I would go out and I would tell all of these people, every one of them at the park, about my story. I'd tell them about Jesus. And I'd, he says, guess what? In a couple of minutes, we're going to get back in the van. We're going to cross the border. And we're going to a place where they actually speak your language. And you can tell your story there. It's much easier to go out there and do it. It's really hard to do that in our neighborhood. So where are you at? 
What's your story? What has God done in your life? What is God needing to do in your life? Are you running back to the chains trying to hold those on? Or do you just release and say, I need transformation. I need transformation. I can't, I can't keep living like this. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, would you right now just give us a moment and bring to our hearts and our minds who is it in our circle that needs to know about you? God, in this moment, would you also just remind us of what you have done in our lives? God, for for those of you, Lord, I know that there are people here this morning who don't have that story. And so I pray, God, that we would understand that we would hear your voice today and we would take that first step towards you. Not that we have to clean ourselves up and get ourselves perfect to be in your presence, but that you would be leading us, that you are the one who leads us in that transformation. It's because of the death of your son, Jesus Christ, that that burden of our sin, that old life, we no longer have to be slaves to sin, but that we are called your children. We are called your heirs. So, Lord, this morning, would you speak to us? Whatever that beginning looks like, that we would enter in. Give us that courage that we need. Help us to step into that. In Jesus' name.